Hello everybody, this is Twitchy Max and you're listening to season two of the family-friendly podcast Expired XP. This season we explore the world of gaming through insider interviews, new and retro game specials, and points of view on industry trends. If you like games, this podcast is for you. Hello everyone and welcome to Expired XP. We've got an exciting episode today with another guest. I'm here with my colleague and uh, gamer in arms, Pete, aka Useless Viking NZ. Hello, people. I'm obviously here with as he didn't it didn't really introduce himself, so I'll introduce him now. Twitchy Max, uh, the man who loves to uh, shoot accidentally in Fortnite when trying to pick up loot. Uh, hence his nickname. It's he is on Twitch, yeah. but that's not why he's got the nickname. Mm. Yeah, um, I haven't done that for a long time, though, actually. No. I need to start doing that again. It's it's almost like I need to either change my name or I need to start being crazy again. Yeah, hey, There we go. We've got a new guest today, which we're really excited to talk to. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Brad? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Brad Allen. I've been uh, working in games for a little over 20 years now. Currently, I'm taking a, a little hiatus to uh, to do some projects that I've backburnered for Oh, about 10, 15 years or so. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've been been doing this for a little while. So. Are, are they in the same kind of vein or are they outside? Because I know you, like talking to a few of you guys, you're very creative outside of gaming. Is mm-hmm. it something completely different or is it within the same vein? Uh, it's it's different. It's um, There's creativity that goes along with it, but it's not, uh, it's not game related. It's not a game. So um, yeah. Which is cool. I mean, we and um, we've talked to people like Mike Porter. He's into like making stuff, you know, little figures and and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I know a DJ that we talked to. He's like music and doing that kind of thing. So it it seems like uh, a lot of the people who are in this industry do have that breadth where they just have passions within d- different realms of 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 being creative. Is is that something you have got as well? Have you got like music or anything like that that I, you like to like play to around think with? So. <laughs> I like to think that I have other uh, other abilities, but we'll see. <laughs> nice one. So, yeah. uh, so do you mind telling us a little bit about uh, where you were re- most recently before um, before setting out on your own path? I was at uh, Respawn Entertainment for the last eleven years uh, since we started it, and then before that, I was at uh, Infinity Ward, and we. Sp- Started that one as well about eight eight or so years before that, and before that I was uh, I was at my first game job, which was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at a place called um, 2015 Inc. And basically, all the guys that worked at 2015 Inc. except for like four split off and formed Infinity Ward, um, almost got absorbed into our publisher to uh whatever do whatever they wanted us to do for them uh because at that time that publisher was doing that sort of thing where they would just do kind of hostile takeovers of their third-party developers and then absorb them into the collective um and then we were approached by a different uh publisher sorry i'm being non-specific because i don't know i don't know what i'm allowed to say or not and (laughs) <laughs> who's going to be like, hey, uh, remember you said this on a podcast, come over here and talk to our lawyers. Anyway, um, anyway, so we were approached by an opposite uh, um, publisher to make a competing game to what we had just made and started making Call of Duty. That's that's when how Call of Duty was born because uh, we worked on Medal of Honor previously um, at 2015. So, so yeah. Was Which that a is interesting. Was, was that was that kind of uh, the same time as? So did you work with um, uh, Benson at, at, at all at, with Medal of Honor or anything like that? Yeah, ben, I worked with Benson way back uh, around 2000, 2001. Um, Which is really funny because we interviewed and talked to Benson, and uh, you know it really is. It, it's interesting hearing about the camaraderie and like the teams and the people yeah. in the industry because you all seem to know each other and have worked with each other. But there seems to be this amazing cohesion that you have in general uh, as people who are creating the games versus maybe the execs. Sometimes it might might be a bit of a different story, but uh, it seems like the people that are creating it are quite brother brother in arms. Feels like a pretty good definition of it. 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like everybody I've worked with is are really good people, like really talented, really passionate, um, really good to work with. Like I, I don't think I've had a real bad experience uh, as of yet, even with people that I thought I was going to. Like they, they turned <laughs> out to be like some of my closest friends. So I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Or no. <laughs> Yeah. And and at these places, what was what was the job that you were doing? Oh, yeah, uh, I do art. Hooray. Art. Uh, I, I started <laughs> cool. out um, doing, uh, I guess you would call them skins. Back when things were, games were much younger, uh, you basically mm. just hand painted all the, the textures uh, like Photoshop or whatnot on uh, the 3D models. Well, not directly on the 3D models, but on a flattened version of the 3D model and the UV mapping and all that fun stuff. Um, and I was doing that. And I, mm-hmm. I had just gotten into the industry, so I didn't I didn't really know 3D so much. Like I had played with some, um, some magic versions of some software that people had given me. Um, and I was familiar with Photoshop and I loved computers because they're awesome and whatever. But uh, so I was familiar with the art end of uh, like the creation art, like uh, play with Photoshop and things like that. Mm. But everything else I learned along the way. So I started out just doing skins, learned a bit of 3D modeling and all the UV mapping and all that fun stuff as I was going. And, uh, and then ended up, uh, I think my last title was, oh my gosh, what was it? Hey, this is one of the parts we're going to edit. Uh, <laughs> My last title was not senior. See, I'm having the brain fart. Um, principal artist. Yeah, that's it. That was a principal artist. Okay. Uh, so I started from artist, uh, moved up, did a whole bunch of, wore a bunch of different hats along the mm. way, done like uh, UI art um, and all that fun stuff, and then done characters and vehicles and weapons mm. and what have you, whatever they'll let me put my, put my stink on basically, mm-hmm. right? By what I do. Cause we were most of the time we were really a small company. Like 2015 was 26 people. Um, Infinity Ward was also 26 when it started. I'm sure it's like around mm-hmm. several hundreds now. Um, and then we were 40, 41 or so when we started Respawn and now they're also in in the hundreds uh so like when you start out there's there's that need to be able to kind of contribute in as many ways as you can uh at least yeah if you're able to right like wearing as many hats is a good thing to have but as the company gets bigger and everybody gets more specialized that that becomes less and less uh important Mm. so yeah it's a really interesting uh, i may be answering a further question by babbling right now Oh no! But it's, okay. Okay. it's really it's interesting okay. to see the the different uh, ways companies work depending on the size and the project and the size mm. of the teams and that sort of thing. So yeah. yeah, and the growing pains they go through as well. You know, there's oh, yeah. that there's that sweet spot, and then you get larger than that, and then suddenly it all starts to get much more complicated. Yeah, and you yeah. forget everybody's name. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. and what they're doing and things. Yeah, yeah. And so what's you most have of a your Sorry, you um, and was most of your work 3D work, or were you doing 2D and 3D games? Uh, we were doing 3D games. Um, mm. I did 2D work as far as like concept art um, mm. yeah. and, and iconography and that sort of stuff. So that tends to be more, more 2D. Um, so I, I, I've done a bunch of different stuff as well as 3D, mm. 3D, and some a little bit of product design and some branding and. Um, yeah, yeah. Whatever they again, whatever they let me do, whatever yeah. came rolling down the hill, we'd be like, oh, let's try that. Like I, I got to design a couple uh, Xboxes. Uh, well, not the Xbox themselves, but the, the skin or the the paint jobs for the special edition for like Modern Warfare Two and for the the title. Oh wow! Yeah, and we have one for Titanfall as well that that never saw the light of day except for a couple hundred that. Uh, the devs all got, and then uh, a bunch of um, celebrities and influencers were given as well. Um, and the controller, one of the controllers that came out. So it's, you know, whatever, whatever they let me do. That's cool, man. And yeah, yeah, like Xbox does have a reputation for doing really good 
um, special editions, like mm-hmm. graphic the graphic artwork on Xbox consoles. It seems to be whoever they get in to do it. And I didn't realize that that was the thing, that, that they go into studios and get the studios to uh, kind of make these kind of uh, graphical designs for the special edition ones. But they always look phenomenal. Like the Xbox Series X Halo one looked sweet. Um, yeah. I didn't end up getting that. I got the, the the first edition that came out. It was a little bit too late for me by then. I'd already got mine. But uh, you know, it almost it almost makes me want to. Sometimes when I see them, I almost want to sell the one I've got just to get the special edition one because <laughs> yeah, they look yeah. so cool. Some of them yeah, just yeah, look yeah. amazing. Yeah. They did like a Star Wars series of them as well that I remember that looked oh, really yeah. cool. From the 360, they had like an R2D2, yeah. C3PO. Those were so cool. Yeah, yeah, the R2-D2 one was amazing. I remember that. Amazing, yeah. 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 yeah and really so, cool. I mean, even if you don't like Xbox, it kind of almost makes you want to buy one. I do. I've got, I mean, Richie and I both have it, Series Xs uh, that we play on and PS5s. We're very agnostic. We don't really have a mm. platform of choice as such. So, yeah. talking about platforms, so where did you start off? Where did you start gaming? What was the, do you remember the first controller that you put in your hand and you started gaming? Or do you remember the, the favorite, maybe? This is going to date myself if I tell you. Uh, so it was way back in the 70s and my mom had picked up uh, like a Pong system, you know, with the two paddles and the really yeah. like a square ball going across the screen yep. and whatnot. That was my first, uh, you know, ever playing a video game. Um, and then like way back when, like when they would have arcade games in like Circle K and whatnot, like uh, or like pizza places or wherever you'd go with your parents, like. I think uh, I saw Space Invaders and like Pac-Man and all that stuff and and like Pac-Man, I was like, what is this madness? Like I, you know. Yeah. That, so anyway, I think of those those first few games, those those stand-up arcades, like were amazing to me because I was like, this is crazy. It's like playing a movie sort of thing, but you know, terrible graphics. But in your head, you kind of extrapolate of what's happening and all that fun stuff. And yeah. And then you I got. Mean, the, I- Oh, sorry, I'm I'm just droning on talking about. No, 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 we love it. I was just going to say it's interesting what you're saying there about graphics because as a kid you never think that way. You never think that it's terrible graphics. You just I just remember being so impressed with whatever I was playing. Yeah, like exactly. the Atari, we, I started with the Atari 2600, which I assume it would have been something like that that you started with the Atari yeah, 2600, yeah. which is just the pong thing. I thought that was amazing, like because yeah. it was just something different to do on your TV, and I was like. It's not, I'm not watching this. I'm interacting with it. So I can get you, I get what you mean. Like putting, seeing something like Pac-Man then in an arcade, which is color and it must've been crazy. Yeah, it was pretty neat. And then again, uh, like we got that 2600, just like probably everybody else in the whole universe. Um, And then you see your friends that had like Intellivision or the ColecoVision where it was like almost one-to-one to the games that were out in the arcade. And you're like, oh my God, I wish we had that. And your mom's like, we already have something. Shut up. So, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, no, it was it, all those those home systems and the arcades. Like that was my, that was kind of what made me fall in love with games. And I'd have like teachers that would kind of come down on me because I was like super into it, and they'd be like, "What do you see in all that stuff? What does that do for you?" And I'm like, "It's it's escape." I didn't, I knew it was escapism. I didn't know the word for it, but I was just like, it lets me do something that I can't do as just sitting around watching TV or maybe reading a book, but it's, it's more interactive. Right. And so I think that's, I think that's the draw for a lot of people is that it kind of lets you live vicariously through this character on the screen. Um, And there's a, I think there's a huge draw to it. Did you continue up with different consoles afterwards? Like, so did you have like a, uh, I know you had the 2600, but did you then go continue with consoles or? So we were kind of, uh, we were kind of low, uh, poor growing up. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't get to really collect consoles or anything like that. I got, um, a Commodore 64. And I think that is probably the most, uh, influential thing on there that, that got me into realizing that I could make games somehow someday. Uh, there was a there was a program on there called uh, Gary Kitchen's Game Maker, and uh, <laughs> it was by Activision. And I ended up working at Activision years later. Um, but yeah, I, I was j- just would play around with that like endlessly, like just 
learning how to do like little sprite graphics and little anim and it was super limited like it, you could only do a certain amount of memory or use a certain amount of memory and then you were just done so i'd have like a, a bunch of these little projects with like and i'd run into a wall well I, I can't do this or i can't do that and but you it also tell you to kind of be creative with like what you can do within limitations which didn't quite work for me because <laughs> my <laughs> my kid head was always over ambitious and I was like why can't I do this uh, if only I had more more screens or more whatever right to to do whatever I wanted to do yeah I, mean, I was I was the same with my Commodore 64 you know I tried to make games and it was just too hard you, you needed hmm. to be super smart and um the resources just weren't there you know? yeah I was so I so admired like Codemasters and you know the way they yeah. churned out their games just so quickly and they were all amazing like the yeah. dizzy games and things like that it was just yeah. oh so <laughs> clever and that, that's what i couldn't even follow the gaming. instruction once i couldn't even follow the you know how you used to buy like you could yeah. buy the instructions and then you had to sit and type it in you could buy like a magazine or mm. something and they would yeah. it would have a game in it i would do that and then i'd be a uh, press load and it wouldn't it, yeah, um, yeah. The debugging yeah. didn't really exist, did it? No. So, no. Brad, Brad, here's a question for you. Here's a relevant question, right? Um, did you have a disk drive on your Commodore 64? <laughs> I think I did. Ah, I did you? Ah. I think I had a disk drive. I'm pretty Good sure. Good man. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, um, I'm always teasing Pete about his privileged upbringing because he had a disk drive on his Commodore 64 and I had tape. I had uh, two. Yeah. Oh, I, I had I've... two disk drives on <laughs> my Commodore <laughs> Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah, I remember they had a tape drive, and they came out with a modem towards the end of the the life cycle of it. But I didn't, I didn't get out of those. I, I found the tape drive would be neat, but yeah, I, then I found out that the load times on those was even longer than a, a disk drive. So yeah, they were all there was a five point two inch, five point two inch disk uh, discs. Yeah, that I think didn't... it's called the 1571 or something, wasn't it? It's was weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. So so if we fast, fast forward, um, were you always kind of a creative artist as a child or were you always drawing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is really weird because I'm, I'm legally blind. So uh, it's just something that, that uh, I don't know, I just kind of gravitated towards. I either wanted oh, wow. to be a... a I want to be a writer when I grow up or I want to be an artist and yeah. artist was just um it was just the path of least resistance I guess like you you get that that I drew this and then you get feedback almost automatically what and mm. nobody tells you you're you're amazing or you, no one tells you you're shit pardon my french oops nobody tells you you're terrible when you're a kid they're just you know most people are mm. really really cool about it until I got a little older and I was in high school and um, since I was uh, legally blind, there were there were things that were in place to help uh, disabled uh, kids or whatever to get kind of mm. employment. So they're they're really pushing uh, people to do like kind of menial tasks, like like learn offset printing and things like that. Mm. And um, and I showed my my portfolio, my art portfolio to the the lady the caseworker or whatever that um that was working with me and she's like oh that's nice you should go into offset printing and I was just like oh, screw you lady like because <laughs> yeah. I, I had a bit of a stubborn streak I guess maybe that helps mm -hmm. as well like people if somebody told me I couldn't do it I would just be like well I'm gonna do it anyway um mm -hmm. so I didn't do their offset printing uh, I went to art school after high school um, moved back to LA and then struggled and went back to school for a little bit and moved back to LA and then struggled just, you know, the life mm. of an artist, right? The, the starving yeah. artist. Uh, I worked painting sets as well as uh, making coffee. I'm pretty good, pretty good barista. So how does it work doing the, doing the artwork when you're legally blind have you have you yeah, got enough vision yeah, to see really, close up really close like yeah oh wow well, that's a good thing about computers yeah. right you can zoom in on stuff and yeah, also, you can, um, yeah. i don't know uh, even with the fidelity now like you i'm still okay right like can i always i can always zoom in i can always 
bring things closer. Um, I feel weird when I have to look over somebody's shoulder and critique because I I'll go like, hey, could you uh, do you mind me sticking my face in your monitor, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Before I, before I'll get up real close to the screen in the meeting room and I'm like, oh, okay, I can see this better. Um, with the Zoom calls, it's a little different, but uh, but yeah, it's it's just a, a matter of getting getting up close and. Um, mm. It's not that I I'm not fully blind. I just uh, have low vision mm. enough that it, it kind of impacts day some day to day things. But you do anything long enough in life, and you figure out workarounds. And yeah, of course, uh, yeah. If you're determined you, enough, you can do it, right? Yeah, or it's just you just kind of stop thinking about it as um, it's just what you do, right? You just you just mm. do the thing you do to live your life, um, and it's yeah. it doesn't. I don't even think about it until uh, until somebody asks me about it. Like they might notice me looking super close at a menu or something at a restaurant or, mm. you know, something. Or if somebody asks, like most people are just, they might just notice and not really say anything about it. But uh, just, it depends on the situation. But yeah, mm. it's, it's no biggie. Well, it, it, it reminds me of when you were talking about um, coding on the Commodore 64 and coming up against limitations and it's oh yeah <laughs> and it's if you're you're at your most creative when you've got some kind of boundary or some kind of um uh sphere you've got to work in that you can't break out of because that if you've got free reign for absolutely everything it's really I find it really hard to be creative but if mm. you've got something that that forces you down a uh, with certain limitations, that's where the kind of creativity happens. Yeah, wow. I also noticed that uh, typos, those are not fun. And that's when I realized I wasn't going to be a coder. I'm like, mm. if I can't find that one semicolon uh, that I did wrong or whatever, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to give myself a headache perusing this text. And that was way back in the day. Like now, yeah. now all this stuff is nice, nice color coding and stuff to set it apart parts apart from each other and whatnot and yeah maybe maybe i'd have been more inclined but uh nah. <laughs> yeah do you feel like it gave you any obvious advantages or disadvantages do you think that you've got a different view or that it lends itself to a different style of doing the artwork that you do because of the fact that you are legally blind or do you not do you not see any difference in between yourself and other colleagues and, and so on I feel like um, it makes it makes uh, getting like a quick read on stuff a lot better because I, most of the time, like if you're say doing iconography or or character designs, you want a strong silhouette, right? Like you want something that reads quick so that you can get mm. that information. Like say your enemy is a certain distance away, if they have a strong silhouette, a strong shape language, um, that helps you as as a player identify what you're what your goal is or if that's your enemy or friendly or whatever um same with iconography um you mm. want a quick, a quick read so usually you say you tell someone to stand back from your monitor and squint um i don't i don't quite have to do that yeah <laughs> I have to get closer. Yeah. but I, I'm, I'm already squinting or i'm already everything's already kind of got that those that that shape thing happening so um I don't know if it's yeah, an advantage nice. or if it's just something that it sounds like it that makes me kind of have that that quicker read on something or, or just intuitively I have to kind of have that to be able to, to kind of identify what I'm doing. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So your so your first role was at 15 Inc. Uh, 2015 Inc. Yeah, 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so how, how did you get in there? <clears throat> So I was working painting sets at a place in Burbank. Um, and at the time, uh, the place I was working at, um, they were they were more of a constant thing. Like usually if you do that sort of work, you would jump from shop to shop and, uh, and find work as it comes type of thing. Uh, whereas the place I was at, they, they brought a bunch of work in because they wanted to keep all their, their employees kind of constant like so they had they knew everybody's abilities and you know was there's not a lot of turnover and that sort of thing um it's kind of beside the point but uh there was um there's a writer strike and they did a lot of commercials in this in this shop uh, and a lot of amusement park rides and things like that 
but um, they would lay people off when stuff was slow. And uh, and I got laid, everyone pretty much got laid off except for like a handful of people uh, for like two months. And so in that two months, I'm sorry if I'm long-winded by the way, in that two months, no, uh, I was just like, I, I threw together a website, uh, threw together my portfolio of like everything I, I had and had done and all this stuff. Uh, I did a lot of painting at that time um, just because it was just the thing. Like I was got I got to keep getting better at art. I kind of, you know, all that stuff. So um, I put all that stuff on my website and I put, I threw my resume at, at anything that blinked basically. Like mm. I, I think I uh, interviewed at Neopets at one point and at a comic book company in San Diego at another point, mm. like just tons of different places. And um, sorry, I got a weird notification on my, on my computer um and then i found 2015 and there were so many places that i had sent my resume to and they gave me an art test and i did the whole back and forth like i skinned uh a, a wehrmacht soldier a world war ii soldier for them and uh and did the whole back and forth and i was just super adamant like hey if this isn't what you want tell me what you do want and I'll lean it more towards that sort of thing. Um, and they, they're like, okay, cool. And I talked to them on the phone a bunch of times and they're like, okay, well, we want to fly you out for an interview in two weeks. And I was like, awesome. Uh, and I got off the phone and I was like, oh my God, I thought this place was in Glendale, right? Like, which is like maybe 20, 30 minutes away from where I was. And I find out they're in Oklahoma and I'm like, oh my God, not Oklahoma. I don't want to leave LA. Um, but I went there and I interviewed and the, they were working on uh, the Medal of Honor Allied Assault game. And uh, it was, at the time it was beautiful. I was like, all like games, you know, tended to be like really colorful and oversaturated and kind of obnoxious as far as their presentation. And this was, to my eye, super, super tasteful and like felt like it was taking a page out of like Saving Private Ryan. Um, yeah. And so I was like, oh, I'm, I'm on board. This sounds amazing. Uh, and they offered me a job, and I was just like, I, this is a foot in the door. Oh, also, nobody in California wanted to give me a job in gaming because I didn't have any experience. Uh, but geographically, and there's a ton of people in California trying to get those jobs, right? So, But not a whole lot of people want to go live in Oklahoma. And I, I kind of knew that. Like, it kind of hit me like, oh, this is definitely a, uh, an opportunity. So I took the job. Then um, they, they lowballed me uh, as far as like price goes because they're like, oh, well, it'd be like making this much in California because the cost of living here is so low. And I was like, all right, well, either way, like I'm in. <laughs> so, so it worked out. Uh, and then two years later or less than two years later, we shipped uh, Allied Assault and then yeah. a bunch of us had started to break off before this uh to form infinity ward and as soon as that was done we just 22 out of the 26 guys at the company uh, were making uh actually we were doing an add-on pack for allied assault and then uh I'm, am i getting long winded or i'm, I'm i apologize no, no. don't so worry about doing, it yeah we are doing the add-on pack for allied assault um our publisher stopped paying us so that we would have to break up as a company and they could cherry pick the talent they wanted and put them on whatever teams internally. Oh, yeah. um, and so just before our first, or just as our first paychecks were getting sent to us under the, uh, the umbrella of the, the publisher, um, we were approached by um, another publisher and they were like, We'll fund your project. You can keep your team together because everybody loved working together. Uh, we just want you to make this competing product. And um, we're like, all right. So, yeah, we got to stay Infinity Ward and we made Call of Duty, the first Call of Duty. So, pretty. And how pretty did it cool. feel to be part of something like that? Yeah, exactly. So, how, you don't how was really that realize it, right? You don't realize it at the time. You're just like, I'm. Um, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing with these people I like and I get to contribute and, you know, and I'm still learning and all that stuff. So it's just, it was just a cool place to be. Um, 
And my thing from the get-go working with these guys was there, everybody was so talented. Like I was like, oh, you guys are awesome. Like, and everyone's so creative and they're open to ideas from everybody. And like the, the culture in the company was amazing. Um, and I just wanted to see what was next. What are we going to do next? What if we did this? What, and, and the whole what if thing was really fun. Uh, and then we got stuck doing World War II for a few more years than World War II lasted. <laughs> uh, but still, like I was always like hoping to see something, let some us break out and do something cool and crazy and different. Uh, but you know, Call of Duty happened, and uh, we ended up doing that for about eight years, and it was fun. I mean, when when we switched gears from uh, World War II to to modern. Um, it was it was a nice refresh button, even though it wasn't like something super crazy, like fantastical or or sci-fi. It was still enough that everybody was fired up and like, you know, it was a, it was a fun project or there were fun projects to work on. So it's it's cool how everything kind of kind of works out. And you don't we didn't realize we were making Call of Duty. I mean, we knew we were making Call of Duty. We knew, we knew we were making the thing that everyone was super hyped about making, but we didn't realize it was gonna. The hope was it would blow up. The hope was it would, I mean, it would get enormous, but we didn't realize it was going to, and we didn't realize how fast it was going to happen when uh, when Modern Warfare came out. It's so, funny, yeah. right, because it, you, you've actually been part of a franchise, which is now so important that the CEO of PlayStation has literally come out and said he's so unhappy about Microsoft buying Activision because of Call of Duty specifically. And the fact that they will only get to uh, have it for the next three years. And after that, it will become an Xbox exclusive. And he's literally out now in the media going, um, you know, that, that he's not happy about that. You know, that it's it's a massive detriment to PlayStation. You've, you've been part of creating a franchise that has PlayStation that word. It's crazy. That's how much That's it true. means to gamers. It's massive. I, I don't imagine that they would withhold. I mean, maybe Microsoft would, but I, I, I imagine they're they're missing uh, a chunk of their player base by doing that. Like that's how many consoles that they're not they're not going to be on if they were to do that. Like, yeah. Think, well, the, think, the the CEO of PlayStation was saying Phil Spencer apparently offered three years. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's what he's gone on the record as saying. Uh, just just yesterday, he was uh, quoted as saying that Phil Spencer, the Microsoft, had offered him three years to continue with Call of Duty, and after that, it wasn't a guarantee. And I think uh, that's the thing, right? So it's kind of like, I guess that's as far as Bill anybody would be willing to say, "Hey, we're g willing to give you this." It doesn't mean in three years' time that they're hundred percent not going to give it to them. But I guess, and to your point, like. What do you go after the bigger revenue stream, which is cross-platform or yeah. and having multi-platform or exclusivity on your own platform um, to have a standout differentiator? I yeah. think it makes more to me. It makes more sense to have it cross-platform, but I'm not I'm not Microsoft, yeah. I guess. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm not either. I I just would see it as when we were making and we we had to make sure it ran that and looked almost identical on on whatever consoles we were putting it on. Um, because money, because the publisher wants that money, and like, and of course, like, you might have some exclusive games, but like something, something that was or ended up being that big, I think they just wanted it in in as many hands as possible. Yeah, I'll be surprised if it goes uh, if it goes exclusive, but yeah, just my opinion. Uh, I'm just so hey, I'm just yeah. a dude. <laughs> Uh, you were talking about your mother before and saying, you know, like, you know, obviously she was kind of going, you've got your Atari 2600, don't worry about all these other machine stuff. Yeah. How was the support from, you know, the paternal parent support when you decided to go into gaming? Like, what was the, did what was the view on that? I, I was always, I was always almost overly supported by my parents um, or my mom. She was just like, whatever you want to do, you know, you can do it. Just go after it, right? Um, almost to the point, like if I, if I pooed on a canvas, she'd be like, that's, that's beautiful artwork. Right? Like it, was, <laughs> it was detrimental. I almost, I needed to hear, maybe you should pull back or maybe you should try something else, but maybe I didn't need to hear. Maybe I was, I was just like, I was so nurtured in, in any of my creative endeavors that, um, that maybe I was, um. I don't know. I, I just was kind of fearless, right? Like I was like, oh, I can do this. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I didn't think I was going to end up in games though. I, um, I, it wasn't my goal. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get into film 
when I was younger. Um, but the creative, I actually went to school for um, special effects in Pittsburgh. Oh, um, yeah. That was my first school. And then I transferred uh, when I went to another school. I went to uh, the Academy of Art in uh, San Francisco for uh, computers and illustration and animation. Um, but I dropped out because it's expensive to live there and it's expensive to go to school there. And it all seemed to have worked out anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on doing games. I just kind of fell into it. Like I, I almost failed out of my first school because I was addicted to, uh, playing my buddy's, uh, Super Nintendo. <laughs> and, uh, and I waited just to the absolute end of the, the semester to finish my projects. And I did, and then I passed and it was all good, but my buddies were teasing the crap out of me. They're like, oh, you're going to fail. Your mom's going to be so disappointed. Like, you know, guys are with each other. Just they're horrible. So, yep. um, so yeah, I was like, oh, and I didn't even dawn on me then. Like, hey, maybe you could do this because at that point it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge industry. And I, I had in my mind thought I had to write code. Um, it wasn't until later that I realized, oh, I can, I can do the art end of it. And I don't have to really be like uber technical or be able to, to know any programming languages or anything like that. So, yeah. So how is, how is the, um, the job, the art job changed over the 20 odd years you've been involved, you know, how, how's that, how have the tools changed? How's the kind of workflow changed? I feel like it's gotten really technical and there's mm. so many more aspects to it now than were when I started that, uh, that if I were to start now, I'd be I'd be overwhelmed. I think um, mm. just just having to know like all these like different programs and different workflows and um, and how to do all this stuff and different engines and like uh, it's it's a little daunting. And I'm glad there's such a wealth of, of information that's that's not only like online but like free if you're mm. if you're willing to dig for it. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's gotten really really cool and uh, and it's gotten really robust as well. Like just the fidelity and the the way you can just make art look almost photoreal or photoreal depending on like your capabilities and your engine. Um, it's it's pretty amazing, and it's always changing too. You know, it's it's like you're always trying to keep up. You know, you're like what well, what are they doing now? Or like cloth simulations and things like that instead of trying to just model everything and you know that sort of stuff and all the the painterly type stuff i mean there's certain games that do it but um a lot of that stuff is is kind of gone right like it, everything's mm -hmm. kind of either scanned or photogrammetry or or there's just all these programs that, that render like beautiful like cloth and skin and hair and the engine takes it and makes it even better and um and it's not that it's less work it's just there's there's different ways to approach it so you don't really have to it's more like a, a way to texture is as much different than it was say 10 20 years ago mm. yeah i mean i've been messing around with photogrammetry on my iphone and my mac with blender and um mm. and uh it's just an xcode and it's amazing what you can do right just walking around an object with your phone yeah. and getting a yeah almost realistic 3d version of of the object it's just it's just incredible what you can do now and um and then dropping that straight into unreal or unity and using it as an asset it's yeah. it feels like it could be so fast to do something that's um probably not shippable but you know is a halfway decent prototype that you can play around with and, um, which is great for pictures or whatever right even if you if, yeah. even if all you used it for was to give someone an idea of what your vision was mm. yeah totally and there's um um have you come across mid journey brad yep yeah yep. I've, um, <laughs> that I've is a little bit of a time that. sink as well yeah it's and it's great <laughs> I, like a lot of people are where i see people are kind of like oh like kind of poo-pooing it or you know it's not art but i I feel like it's a really cool inspirational tool. Like it's, yeah. It, there's yeah. so much amazing stuff that I've seen come out or, or that I've been kind of like, Oh, I made this too with it. Like just by typing in random words or phrases or, um, and it, it's not perfect, 
but I kind of like a, that about it. Like it, yeah, it's mm. almost like it doesn't know how to draw, but it knows how to render. So you get like it's getting better too. I've seen the, the recent stuff, but um, the earlier stuff was almost kind of dreamlike. Like you'd get these really yeah. weird things that didn't quite make sense, but but man, they look cool. Like so, yeah. I, I, I dig it. Uh, I saw well, when we interviewed. We interviewed Jason Sussman, and uh, he's become somewhat addicted to it. I've seen yeah. his, uh, <laughs> I've seen his Facebook profile. I went there just to say hi and thank you for the interview. Logged in and checked out his profile, and I, I swear it felt like his entire feed was just all this mid-journey stuff that he'd created. I mean, he loves it's it. It's so really addictive, cool. though. I it's get so it, addictive. It, it's yeah. just absolutely nuts. I, I really um enjoy using it, and I'm um I'm in the process of learning how to do 3D art in Blender at the moment. And I'm um, trying to do low poly characters. And y you're right, you're spot on there, Brad, about inspiration, because I struggle with the inspiration part of it. But I can kind of get that idea, stick it in mid-journey, and it will give me a render. And then I can go and try and create something similar in Blender. It's great. Really, yeah, really powerful really tool. Um, um, I, I dig it. I, I'm, I'm not offended. <laughs> I, th I think it's just it's super neat and it's super inspiring like i want to i want to take some of the stuff it's given me and then take it in the photoshop and and alter it myself and kind of see where where it goes with that like it's i think it's a really cool uh starting point mm, yeah it almost feels a bit like uh, the guy from jurassic park park the guy who was meant to make the animatronic pup puppets you know, and he was kind of like saying, you know, you either go extinct or you join the journey. And those yeah. are your two options. You either find out your own creative way of using these things to help drive what you do for work or you become uh, extinct and you just lie yeah. there on the pile and give you get up. get all disgruntled and mad at it, which isn't helpful. No. <laughs> it's better to kind of go with the flow and see and see where it takes you, right? Yeah. So, sorry, uh, I, so you at Infinity Ward. How did Respawn come about? Uh, that's a, that's a bit of a, a story. Um, so I guess our bosses, uh, Vince and Jason, um, had some sort of falling out with the, the higher ups at Activision or the, something along those lines. I, I don't know the specifics, but they fired them for insubordination. Um, and then they were telling us that they wanted us to work on the next Call of Duty, and then and then they would pay us the royalties from Call of Duty uh, from Modern Warfare 2, when we the, which we had just shipped. Um, so when a bunch of us, about half the team, actually jumped ship and started respawn when uh, we heard, or not started respawn, but joined Respawn when we heard that uh, Vince and Jason had started the new studio. So um, in a nutshell, yeah, there was a big, crazy two-year lawsuit, and uh, and we started Respawn. And how did that feel, like moving into Respawn with that goal of creating something new? I mean, I've, I'm looking at my Titanfall mech right now that's sitting in the corner here from the uh, Ultimate Edition. Like... How did you know? Was that the original pitch? Was we're going to do a, a mech version of Call of Duty? How did that come around? The original, we actually we sat around in a big circle, um, and every single person in the company had to pitch a game. So, um, so there were about forty pitches, um, and originally it, it wasn't uh, Titanfall; it was another another idea. Um, but things changed, and we everyone decided that we were doing uh, Titanfall. And it wasn't called Titanfall at the time. We had no idea what it was called, of course. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, it was just one of the pitches that uh, I think it was, uh, he was a, one of our artists, Joel, he ended up being art director, um, pitched that game. And, uh, and people were kind of iffy about the idea and... Uh, in the interim, Joel had gone and built these maquettes, like these kind of little statues about a foot, foot and a half tall, and uh, nice. made these big robots, right? So that people could kind of wrap their heads around like what they would look like or what they could look like. And then uh, 
he had made smaller versions with little, little soldiers and whatnot. Um, and he grabbed one of the soldiers, put it next to the mech, and there was just this huge size discrepancy. And I just clicked for everybody, and everyone's like, okay, we're doing it. Yeah, so, um, cool. yeah, it's just neat to see the people with the, the creative processes and ways to work around uh, getting other people on board. That's I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, 100%. I mean that that that's awesome, and I mean obviously Titanfall and Titanfall Two and now Apex Legends, they're all, you know, it's 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 uh, I guess it's quite amazing when you you have a few titles like that and they become such such a, a big presence. Uh, uh, Hudson, I think I asked you a few questions. Uh, I think it was about a year ago or something about Titanfall because I had my uh, my nephew Hudson here who loves it. He still loves Titanfall 2. Uh, he's literally watching videos right now about how the story between Apex Legends connects to Titanfall. Yeah, so yeah. he's like he's like getting up lore. I think that's quite amazing, <laughs> you know, to have, have a kid who's like 12, 13, something like that. He's so into it that he's he's watching these videos about the lore and the connection points between different properties that you've created. So, I mean, that kind of feeling, I mean, you've you've done Call of Duty, obviously, you, you, you know, you had that, you had Medal of Honor series, and then you had a Titanfall. Like, uh, I guess for me, like, how does it make you feel? But also, which one, do you have a proudest one? Do you have a proudest moment, something that you're most proud of in general that you've done in gaming that you just look back and go, that was amazing, and I'm so proud of that? I, I really liked Titanfall 2. Um, I, I like it. I feel like as far as like, I mean, all the games were really fun to work on and they're all had their unique uh, things about them that made them fun or interesting or learning experience or just growing as a, as an artist uh, or a, a contributor. But um, I like, I like Titanfall too, cause it was, it was ours. Like Titanfall one was the, the grand experiment, like trying to prove ourselves as a new company that the first one, but um, but we got to put multiplayer in Titanfall 2, um, which we had, I, I, I think, well, we got to put single player, pardon me, because there was multiplayer, well, that's all uh, single, the first one was, was a, a kind of a single multiplayer type of thing. Yeah. But once we got to tell a story with that universe, um, I thought it kind of sang, and I think that the multiplayer was a, a bit better as well in, in Titanfall 2, yeah. so... And Apex is great as well. Like it, it was a new thing and it was a, a, a big jump from what we were used to doing. Um, even like visually, like we kind of changed things up a bit. But yeah, but Titanfall 2, I think, kind of has a, a special place because it was like a continuation of what we had started. And then Apex kind of was its own thing. Nice. For a bit. I mean, it, it, they all tie together, but, um, hmm. but Apex is definitely a different, a different game mechanic. So if you if you were talking to someone who's thinking about getting into um, uh, game art and 3D design, what advice would you give them considering the state of the industry now? Uh, I don't know. I, I would say if if they're doing art, uh, do the art that makes you happy. Like go after mm. the go after the game that that is your favorite type of thing. You know. Um, and, and gear your portfolio towards even a specific company if that's if that's your your thing right like I see people kind of trying to do everything and um, and kind of limiting themselves in a way because mm. you don't know what what their favorite thing is and you have to be like hey what what's your but then there's other guys you're like oh this person's like super sci-fi or super into weapons mm. and um, just I, I think don't try to be everything for everybody be the be the thing that you really dig and that's gonna make your work kind of shine because you're you're doing what you love and you'll end up mm. doing that with and for other people so mm. that's my mm. opinion it might it might be a little a little off somebody else will be like no 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 <laughs> but but no I, I yeah i think just go after the thing you like and uh mm. and hopefully that'll get you where you need to be mm. yeah and um, I guess, <laughs> what do we think? I mean, I, I think Richie and I don't have as creative 
of jobs as we would love to. I'm, I'm sure that's mm. not a surprise, yeah. Richie. That's that's true, right? But we do yeah, get is, to yeah. have glimpses of creativity, and I agree with it. I think that going to your strengths of the stuff that you love is where you play the best when you're doing something creatively, because naturally your passion flows, your energy levels are higher. Uh, you make those connections in your brain a lot quicker because like if you're trying to world build or whatever it is that you're doing because it's so naturally part of your DNA anyway, I think that it's easier to kind of do it. So when I do have my creative um, outlets, I find that I when I delve into areas that I myself am fascinated with and love, it goes really easily. And if mm. I try to kind of branch out and do something I'm not that into, I just sit there. And it, it just yeah. won't come to me. It won't come to me. I'm more of a I'm more of a writing person. So for me, it's writing. Richie's more like he is more the he could do the you know the games. Yeah, the, I'm a bit more visual and a bit more kind of game mechanics. Yeah, I, I yeah I, I used to be a developer, Brad. So I'm oh, not cool. in games, but um uh in uh e-commerce. So I've got um you know I I can I can code um I've I've got a frustrated kind of artist in me. My um, my ability doesn't quite keep up with my mind, but I'm trying to I'm trying to bridge that with uh, Blender and and trying to learn how to do that uh, a lot better. Um, so, and I, I think you're spot on actually, because uh, there's a lot of grind. You know, there's a lot of grind in creating games or in in any industry that involves programming and art. And if you if you're grinding on something you don't enjoy, you're not going to do it. And that you need an unseen amount of discipline. But if it's something that you love, the grind can be fun and you're much more yeah. likely to get where you want to go. So I, th I think you're spot yeah. on with what you're saying. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, I've only I've only got one uh, final question for you. Uh, Richie might have something else. But what, what do you think are the best and worst part of the industry for you that you that you kind of what are the things that really make you happy? What are the things you still think need to be worked on? Um, I guess it would just depend depend on uh, where you're at, where you're at in the industry. Like, um, personally, I I've, I liked uh, when companies when we were working in smaller groups as uh, as companies. When they get too big, it you kind of lose uh, you forget everybody's name or you don't know everybody's mm -hmm. name. Once you, I think once you get past like 120 or 150, I think is it. Uh, one of those numbers um yeah and it's it's kind of just nice having that 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 kind of connection with with your team and, and everybody working with you um but i do i do like how creative the industry is and and it's still fairly young uh as an industry mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting to see it grow and change um and that's that's always kind of a that's kind of a cool thing to see right different mm. trends and different kind of game types that people gravitate towards or, or decide this is the this is the thing everybody wants to do or this is the, the thing that you know that's gonna make people happy or not um and it's always nice to see outliers as well like oh wh where did this come from that's a really cool game did you guys play stray uh um, yeah i've seen the i've seen some videos of it it looks amazing it's like yeah, Steph, yeah. Steph wants to play it next. She's she's got uh, with to be fair, both of us. I was going to say just Steph, but I've also got completely addicted to, uh, and this is embarrassing, but uh, uh, Dream Valley, Dream. It's uh, Dreamlight Valley, which is a new Disney Animal Crossing game. So it's literally oh, cool. Animal Crossing, but a Disney version. Oh, so gosh. it's on it's on, it's on Xbox Game Pass, and we've become completely addicted <laughs> but stray is the next one that we are going to tackle after that so it's it looks amazing cool. and it's not it's not a long game i think that's like if i if i see a game that's got 100 100 hours i'm just go i'm never finishing that <laughs> yeah, just yeah. You know what's to do in life like as a younger kid like the idea of a game that takes you like 100 hours or so you're just like yes like you're, you're getting your money's worth you can play it over and over yeah secrets but like being a being a grown-up sort of um you're just you gotta allot your time and be like those those four-hour games or those uh 20-hour games are much more appealing as far as i can i can maybe finish it right like i actually finished yeah. right I like, yeah i finished the game <laughs> but, yeah <laughs> 
So Richie, did you have any final question for Brad? Uh, no, I think I think we've kind of covered off most of them. I mean, it's been great talking to you, Brad, and hearing about um, your kind of perspective on the industry and and where you've worked. You know, it's we every time me and Pete do this, we learn a little bit more um, about the mechanics and and what a great industry it, it is to be in. You know, everyone that we speak to is so passionate and they love what they do. Um, and it's and it's just amazing to talk to people who've worked on all these games. You know, I'd never really thought that I would be sat chatting to someone who who made Call of Duty, you know. And I, I was a big fan back in the day. <laughs> you know, or one of the people who worked on it, you know. So it, it's great to have this opportunity. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you guys for uh, for having me on. Yeah, I, I'm, I must just second what Richie says before we hang up. You know, it is it's special to us because you know we have we have the memories and it's it's quite funny i think that the shared platform in our lives with you guys is we also had the commodores or similar you know that we mm. all came from that passion the difference is that we didn't go down that path of maybe um following up or believing in ourselves enough to think that we could do this you know uh, a lot of you guys when we've talked to you uh, and i'm using that as a collective but I, you have said like that it wasn't necessarily what you thought you'd do or that yeah. you, you it, it something came up and then that opportunity was there and you seized it and so i really love seeing how that's come together and then what that's created for you guys and i think that's amazing and we as consumers get to sit on the other side and reap the rewards of the fact that you had these amazing paths that just happened. And sure. and that's amazing. It's amazing for us. Like it's amazing for us to be on that side. And it's great for you guys that you are still so passionate on the opposite side. Cause I think that's what Rich and I want. We want mm. people who develop game to still be passionate about it and mm. care about what they're doing. It still needs to be an art form and not just a commercial thing. And, yeah. and and for that uh, for us that's key and that's why it's so awesome talking to all of you i don't think it's a single person we haven't talked about rich where i was just like this person's so passionate about what they do mm. oh, that's awesome. yeah. yeah a little funny aside um jason sussman and i went to high school together we lost, <laughs> we lost contact with each other for like uh maybe 10 or so years mm. and um, i don't i don't remember like I might have just just typed his name on a search in the internet because I was like, I wonder if I can find out what Jason's doing. And uh, I found him at uh, he was working at some place in um, in Texas. And uh, and at one point when we were working on Call of Duty, um, we were working with that that same company in Texas. Uh, they were helping us out with some maps for a multiplayer or something like that uh, on like. Call of Duty 2 or one of those uh, early games and I was trying to get a hold of him and um, and I finally did and I was like oh man that's crazy he, we both ended up making uh, making games we used to play uh, play Nintendo together on high school <laughs> when, when oh like, that's amazing and all this crazy crazy stuff and drew comic books <laughs> crazy comic books and whatnot uh, so yeah it's it's funny there's just a uh, the past that you accidentally let like go down and then you find out somebody you know uh are are doing the same thing that's so, yeah. so cool isn't yeah. it it's really that's crazy awesome yeah i was trying to get him to work uh work at infinity ward um uh, on modern warfare modern warfare 2 around that time and he went to bungie um and then all the craziness went down with the, the lawsuit and i was like i'm glad you didn't come here <laughs> Yeah, uh, great too like he's i think he's like art director or something crazy up yeah. there like he's yeah doing yeah, yeah. So. he's he's just finished up at destiny 2 and he's just on an undisclosed new project and yeah. he seems uh super excited about that uh That's he couldn't crazy. say anything about what it was uh, mm. We did say we'd catch up with him once it's revealed what it is and and see how he feels about it then but i think well, he really seemed uh, he seemed he seemed happy about it which was That's cool awesome. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, and uh, and see if you can get him off his mid-journey addiction. Uh, All right. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Anyway, hey, thanks, Brad. Um, thanks, Brad. Have a lovely evening. Thanks again so much for your time. Wish you all the best in, in your endeavors. Uh, hopefully we'll hear a, a bit more about that later on as well. It'll be interesting to find out what's next for you as well. And yeah, have a have a lovely evening, mate. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast platform. 